You may be seated. Well, what's up, Bridge? It's a privilege to be up here filling in for Pastor PJ. But if you don't know me, my name is Lewis. I'm a student here in the college ministry, and I have the joy of opening God's Word with you all tonight. So before we get started, I want to make sure you all have a Bible of some kind with you. We're going to be covering a lot of ground in God's Word tonight, so make sure you've got your Bible, your computer, if you're an AP Christian, you've got your phone of some kind, right? We've got Bibles in the back if you need one, but make sure you can see the passage because we're going to be covering all of Proverbs chapter 8 tonight. But if you're paying attention to announcements, um, you heard them talk about this thing called Mission 66, right? And it's this thing we're doing as a college group, this commitment we've made to read God's Word every day because we think it's that important. We think it is God's Word. We think it is what um, He has to say to us, and so we want to be in it every single day. But... If you are anything like me, you have found a glaring issue with Mission 66. It's not that it doesn't take 66 days to build a habit, um, but unfortunately, there's a problem with Mission 66. And before you go tell Pastor PJ to get me out of the pulpit, um, the problem is not with God's Word. The problem is not with the research behind how long it takes to build a habit. The problem is with certain people, people like me. Because if you're like me, you wake up more often than you'd like to admit, and you do not want to read your Bible. Right? You wake up, you know you should, you made a plan the night before to, to wake up and read your Bible, but you don't feel like it. You could think of a million different things you'd rather do in that moment. Or maybe you wake up, you turn off your alarm on your phone, and you want to stay on your phone. Right? Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, for me it's fantasy baseball, my team's 11-2, and two. I'm trying to win the championship, right? But for me... There's so many different things you can figure out. Maybe you're reading your Bible and your phone goes off. You've got to check it. Or your sibling comes in your room and they want to talk to you. Or maybe you wake up and you realize you're late for work or you've got all this stuff going on. You've got to go pick this up. You've got to go do this thing. There's so many different reasons we can think of not to read our Bible. Maybe you feel like the Bible isn't relevant. You feel like it just doesn't speak to you the way you like it to. Maybe it's confusing. You know, you're reading Psalms and you're like, I don't have any enemies that are trying to kill me right now. I don't know what to do with the DBR this morning right? Maybe you just don't enjoy it. It's just a lot of work. You don't really feel like reading about, you know, Job or his friends or, or whoever, right? In that moment, when you decide to read your Bible, what's going to get you over that hump? What's going to get you through to say, you know what, I, I am going to do this. I am going to spend time to hear what God has to say to me today. We've all been there. I'm sure you've been there if you've tried to read your Bible in the past couple weeks, and maybe you just don't even feel like trying. Maybe you haven't. You've been like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this because I, I just don't think it's worth it. You're faced with this decision every single day to hear what God has to say to you, and you need to be convinced of the value and the joy and the glory of this book if you're going to push through and, and spend time in it day after day after day, and day 14, day 36, day 56 or day 66. And so tonight's passage, if you allow God's spirit to do his work through this passage in your heart, this, this is going to convince you of the value of God's word. And it's going to convince you of why you need to listen to what this book has to say. So if you're not already there, turn to Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to be skipping ahead a little bit. I know we left off in chapter 4 last week. We're skipping ahead to 8. You'll find out why when Pastor PJ starts preaching Proverbs 5 next week. Um, but we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 8 tonight. So we've been hearing a lot about wisdom, right? Wisdom 
this. You should listen to wisdom. Wisdom is better than this. Wisdom is this, right? Proverbs is all wisdom. But in chapter 8, Solomon is going to give his pen to wisdom herself. And you just say, here, I'll, I'll let wisdom tell you about herself. So we're going to hear firsthand from wisdom why you should listen to her. So look at, with me at verse 1, Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. See here, wisdom, it it is calling out to you. Wisdom is, Solomon's painting this picture of wisdom, and she's trying to get your attention, right? It should be obvious. Does not wisdom call, right? Like, duh, does not this happen, right? And then she's on the heights, right? You, you get up to a high spot to get people's attention, right? I'm on this platform because I'm trying to keep you engaged. I'm trying to keep your attention. She's at the crossroads. That's, that's where everyone is going. That's, you guys see the guys with the signs that are spinning them around, right? And they're at the intersections. Why? Because that's where the most traffic is, right? Wisdom is putting herself in your way, trying to get your attention. Beside the gates in the front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, that word portals, I don't know why the ESV is trying to lead you to believe that Solomon like teleported and stuff back in the day. It just means doorways. So she's knocking at your door, right? Or she's going to all the entrances of the building. She's saying, listen, 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 listen to me. And who does she want to listen? Anyone, right? To you, oh men, mankind, men, women, children, college students, everyone who is a person needs to listen to wisdom. She's trying to get your attention. Maybe for some of you, she's been trying to get your attention for a long time. Maybe you haven't really ever taken Bible reading seriously in your life. You, you've heard from your pastors. You've heard from your parents. You've memorized the Awana verses, right? You, you've been listening to wisdom in, by hearing it, but you haven't been paying attention. Or maybe just for the past few weeks, you've been hearing Pastor PJ talk about wisdom and Pastor Kellen and all this stuff about reading your Bible and hearing God's word. And wisdom has been trying to get your attention. She wants you to listen, and she's getting all up in your face. And so if you notice on your worksheet, there's really one main point for you tonight, and it's very simple. Point number one is listen to wisdom with an exclamation point. Listen to wisdom. Don't forget the exclamation point because she is urgently trying to get your attention. I don't know if you've ever tried to get someone under the age of 12 to stay in one spot for very long but it's really difficult. It's very difficult to get them to to stay focused on you long enough to stay in one place for under like, or over like 30 seconds. Um, And the best way to go about keeping someone's attention is by coming up with ways to get them to to focus, right? You gotta come up with things that that make it engaging and worth it for them, right? And wisdom has been trying to do that for you, right? She is moving around. She is putting herself in your way. She is calling out through different people in your life and from different vantage points, right? From God's word, from your parents, from your godly friends, from your small group leaders. She is calling out to you and she is putting herself in your way. She's getting up in your face and saying, listen to me, listen to me. And there's two groups in particular though that she wants to listen. So look with me at verse five. She says, oh, simple ones, learn prudence. 
So the simple person in Proverbs, just a tip for reading Proverbs, the simple person is the inexperienced person, the naive person, the person that doesn't really know exactly what they're doing. They're easily influenced. They don't have wisdom yet. They're not opposed to wisdom, right? But they're still learning. They don't really know what's going on. And so the simple, right, they're led astray without wisdom, right? And all of us, I think, in some areas of our lives, we are simple, right? We don't know how to handle this situation. We don't know exactly what we believe about this doctrine, right? If you were at the Q&A, we got into some pretty deep theological positions, at least during the 11. We talked about covenant theology, and we talked about amil and premill, and we talked about charismatic gifts and all this stuff. And if you don't really know what's going on, you just kind of take people's word for it because they have a microphone or they wrote a book, and you just say, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me, right? And so you're in that area, you're, you're simple, right? Or maybe for you, it's how do I handle this situation, right? And you just ask your leader, and you do what your leader says, which is good, right? But in that sense, you are being simple, right? Because you are following whatever is happening. And the problem, if you are simple, is you lack the discernment to, to filter what's biblical and what's not. You just kind of listen to whatever's going on. And for the simple people, they need wisdom because they need that discernment to, to be able to look or listen to what someone says and say, is this what God says or is this not? Right? So in some sense, we all are simple. We all need to listen to wisdom so we aren't led astray. When this next group she singles out is in even more danger. The rest of verse 5 says, Oh fools, learn sense. The fool in Proverbs is the person who has no desire for wisdom. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're out there and you're just here because it's a thing to do or you're here because your friends are here or whatever. Maybe you don't really want to listen. You, you just show up because whatever reason, you're just here, and you're indifferent, and you're hard-hearted. And at best, not listening to wisdom as a fool, you are wasting your life, because you are going to go pursue all these things that aren't going to satisfy you, right? Like we just sang about that, right? The second song, only you can satisfy, right? You're going to be wasting your time filling up your life with your pursuit of money or your pursuit of popularity or your pursuit of approval of other people. And maybe you can disguise that by going to church and hanging out with your friends. But if you are seriously trying to find your satisfaction in that and no, you have no desire for God's word or to hear what God has to say, you are a fool. And that's what the Bible would say to you. And that's best case scenario is you're wasting your life. Worst case scenario is you are heading towards destruction and danger. And so you are not just wasting your time, but you are filling up your time with things that will harm you, things that will damage you spiritually, things that you won't be able to undo or unsay or unfeel, and you won't be able to, you'll, you'll suffer harm from those things. And those are the, the two people wisdom singles out, but she is trying to get everyone's attention. She's saying, listen to me, listen to me. Whoever you are, she is urgently demanding your attention. And so, I think the natural result of that, of hearing that, is well, we should give her the attention she is looking for, right? You can start nice and easy. You can actually start applying this sermon before it's done. You can start by paying attention, right? If I'm saying what God's word is saying, then you can listen to wisdom by hearing what God's word has to say. You can make a commitment to be a better sermon listener in general, right? I know sometimes it's easy to be on your phone during the sermon or to be doing this during the sermon or whatever, and it's easy to, to tune out kind of and not be a great sermon listener. 
right? It's easy to skip your Bible reading, right? To neglect it. It's easy to rush through it. I know I'm guilty of this sometimes. I feel like I have to go do that thing after I finish my DVR. After I spend my time in God's word, I need to get on to the next thing. And so I rush through it and I just try to get to the end of it, right? That's not really paying attention to what wisdom has to say. You ever been in a conversation where someone is like, you can tell they're already thinking about what they're going to do after the conversation. And it's like really frustrating because you're trying to talk to them and they're just like, well, I, I got to go do this thing. And they're like inching away from you slowly, you know, right? And I feel like we don't think about that. But when you read your Bible with that mindset, that's what you're doing to God. God is trying to talk to you. And you're saying, God, I, I have something better to do after you're done. So hurry up so I can just get on with the rest of my life, right? You can give wisdom the attention she deserves by asking God to give you wisdom. That's a really simple way to do it. But James 1.5 says, ask for wisdom if you, if you don't have it. Wisdom is making herself available to you. But are you making yourself available to her? She is looking for you. She is calling out to you, but are you reciprocating? Right? She's putting yourself, herself in your way. What are you doing with that? Right? Maybe if you want to go deeper, you can make time to study something that you don't really understand. Maybe you're reading your DBR and you don't really understand what this one passage means, or you're reading through Acts, and you don't really know why or who this person is, or you don't know why they did the thing they did. Well, don't just move on from, with your life. Like, that's God's word. It's important, so you should probably figure out what it means or what it says. So there's different ways you can listen to God's word, listen to wisdom, but that is the thrust of this passage. Wisdom is trying to get you to listen to her, and so we all need to pay attention. Maybe, though, you're thinking, Lewis, you've made a, a fatal flaw in your argumentation because you are, this is logic 101, but you are saying that we need to listen to wisdom, and then you're jumping to God's word over here, right? And I'm just equating the two. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's really what this is talking about. This is just talking about wisdom. This isn't talking about the Bible. Well, just to be absolutely clear, it is talking about wisdom. You're right. It's not talking about the Bible. But wisdom comes from God. We know that in Job 28, when Job is talking to God, if you've been going to women's Bible study, Stephanie Schwartz is probably all you've talked about this. But in Job 28, Job is looking for wisdom. And he comes to the conclusion that wisdom is only found in God. Because his friends are really smart, but they're not giving him the wisdom he needs. So he needs God to give him wisdom. Proverbs 2.6 says, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And then James 1 that we already mentioned, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So wisdom comes from God. And how has God given us that wisdom? How has he packaged it in his word, right? In what he has said to us. Right? Deuteronomy 4, Moses is talking about the, the law. And he's, for verse 6, he says, keep the statutes and do them for that will be your wisdom, right? So obeying God's word is wisdom. And then in Matthew 7, right, you guys will probably know the song if you helped out at Camp Compass, but Matthew 7 says that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a, what kind of man? A wise man, right? So we can, I just want to make absolutely clear that wisdom is coming from the word of God, right? So for the rest of this sermon, I'm going to be equating wisdom with God's word, and I hope you understand why I'm doing that. But the rest of this passage, right, is wisdom's attempt to convince you to listen to her, right? She's saying, listen to me. And then she's going to say, all right, here's a bunch of reasons why you should listen to me, right? It's, it's almost the opposite. Usually, right, when someone talks, they tell you, all right, you should listen to me for these reasons, and then they tell you what they're going to say, 
Wisdom's doing the opposite. She's saying, listen to me, and then she's going to tell you, here's why. And I think that's actually helpful for us because we already know we should be listening to wisdom usually, right? We know, yeah, I probably should read my Bible. I probably don't read my Bible as much as I should. I probably don't listen to what the sermon has to say as intently as I probably should. But we often fail to do that, right? We often fail to read our Bible or pay attention to what God has to say. So we need reasons to do that. We need motivation. So tomorrow morning when you wake up, you can come into your time that you've set aside to to spend in God's word and say, all right, even though I feel like doing this other thing, I can actually get motivated to realize this is worth it, right? It's worth it for me to spend the extra 30 minutes to do my Bible reading. And so the first reason, these are going to be your four subpoints right here, but your, the first reason that you should listen to wisdom is because, A, wisdom is desirable. Wisdom is desirable. And so the quality of what she says, right, inherently wisdom herself is excellent. Look with me at verse 6. Wisdom says, hear, for I will speak noble things, right? Things that are fit for royalty, fit for the most important people. What wisdom has to say is good for kings and queens and decision makers. And from my lips will come what is right, or what is true, what's correct, what corresponds with reality. Verse seven, for my mouth will utter truth. That word truth, the root word in Hebrew is like a pillar, right, or a guardian, And so what wisdom says is reliable, it's dependable, it's trustworthy. You can count on what she says to to come through for you. And then she also says, wickedness is an abomination. It's horrible, it's detestable to my lips. Verse eight, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them, right? So there's nothing about wisdom that's false. Nothing she says will lead you astray. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. So what wisdom is saying is the highest quality of words. She's saying things that are best for for kings and good for reality and they correspond with what is true. They won't let you down. They won't lead you astray. And that's because wisdom is from God, right? And wisdom is the best way to live in God's world, right? Because if God designed the world, then he knows how best to navigate his world, right? And if you want to put it in a tweetable way, you can say you can navigate God's world by God's word, right? God's word is going to help you navigate the world he made the best because his character and his morals are built into the fabric of the very world. For example, if I went to the gym, I would not know what I was doing. And so I'd probably hurt myself right? If I went to the gym and tried to use all those like bars and all those machines, you know, and all that stuff, I'd have absolutely no clue what I was doing. And that would be bad, right? Because I'd hurt myself, I'd do too much, I'd do things the wrong way, right? Or whatever. And so since I don't know what I'm doing, it would be, I wouldn't do things the right way and that would be bad for me, right? And in the same way, if you are living in God's world and you don't know how it works, right? You don't know what you're supposed to do in certain situations to honor God, then it's going to be bad for you, Right? Because you have to understand that if God made the world, he knows how the world works. So what he says about living in the world is going to lead you to the best outcome of living in the world. Right? So if you know how to do the different exercises at the gym, you'll do them in the most beneficial way possible. 
And if God made the world and if he made you and me and he made conversation and he made our hearts and he made our emotions, then what he says about all those things is the best way to engage in all that. Also, if you do know how to use the equipment at the gym, it's a lot of fun. I have friends who spend probably a total of years of their life at the gym, right? Because they love it. They know what they're doing. It makes sense to them. They know how to do all the exercises the right way, and they love it. It's enjoyable. They wake up at 6 a.m. to do hundreds of push-ups and pull-ups and squats and things like that. But it's enjoyable for them because they know what they're doing, right? And if you know what you're doing in life because you have God's wisdom, it will be enjoyable. It will make sense. You'll do things the right way, and it will actually benefit you. But more importantly, wisdom from God is full of beautiful qualities and attractive qualities, right? And that's what this passage is saying. She's not going to lead you astray. She's not going to leave you empty and unsatisfied. Take your relationships, right? If you use wisdom in your relationships, your relationships will be so much better. You won't have the strife and the drama and the envy and the offending people, right? Because you'll be able to handle that situation wisely. You'll be able to call them out on their sin wisely so you won't offend them, right? Or with decision-making, right? You'll make a good decision. Oh, should I stay up till 2 a.m. doing this random thing that I don't really need to do? Like, no, right? Have wisdom and instead use that wisdom to have a better outcome. So the next morning you're not like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, right? And obviously that's a silly example, but human wisdom will lead you to poor choices, right, and unsatisfying results because you can hurt people with your unwise words and your unwise decisions, right? And you can value things that don't really end up mattering that much because you have an unwise perspective of the world. And that's where wisdom actually goes next in this passage. Because of how good wisdom is, she's saying we should value her more than anything else. So look at verse 10. She says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I don't know if you remember, but a few sermons ago, Pastor PJ used that illustration about like what if you, you know, went to town center every morning and there's $100 there and you can do the same thing with God's word because God's word is more valuable than $100 and every morning you can pick up your $100 from God's word. And that's a good illustration. It's a good idea to think about the Bible as something more valuable, right, than $100. But what if we changed it a little bit and we said this? What if I paid you $100 every day you didn't read your Bible? Would you do it? If I said, you can have $100 if you don't read your Bible today. If you don't even think about God's word, I will give you $100. Because that's when you have to start thinking, okay, is this more valuable than $100? Is spending 30 minutes, an hour, you know, reading God's word, studying it, praying through it, is that more valuable than $100? What about $500? What would you do? Right? That's what wisdom is saying. She's saying, take my instruction instead of silver, in place of gold. She's asking you to choose one or the other. Right? Obviously, you aren't faced with the choice of $100 or Bible reading, but you're faced with similar trade-offs every single day. You can sleep more, or you can get up the extra 30 minutes early before work and read your Bible. You can scroll through Instagram, 
or watch YouTube in the morning, or you can read your Bible. You can go with the flow of your day, right, and just kind of cruise through your day and not think about God's word, or you can discipline yourself to set aside the extra few minutes. Oh, what did I read this morning? You are making a trade-off there. You're saying, I'd rather do this than think about God's word, right? I'd rather respond to all my texts first thing in the morning and then get distracted and not spend time in God's word than do that, my Bible reading first, and really think about it and focus on it, and then go about all that, right? Sometimes it's not an either-or. Obviously, it's not bad to respond to your text. You should respond to your text, right? It's not bad to go on Instagram or YouTube. It's not bad to listen to music in the car, right? But you are, if you're not doing your time in God's word, then you are trading that, right? You're trading listening to music instead of reading God's word, right? And so in that moment, right, when you make that decision, whether it's a conscious decision or an unconscious decision, what is going to motivate you to choose wisdom over those things? What's going to make you say, you know what, I need to study God's word. I need, I can't get up from my desk until I figure out what that verse means, or I am not going to go about my day until I have something from God's word to meditate on today, to think about, to carry with me into my work day. What you, what's going to motivate you to do that? You have to be convinced about the value of wisdom. You have to be enjoying and loving and focused on wisdom. You have to see that it's desirable, right? Verse 11 says that all that you may desire cannot compare with her, right? Nothing else will lead you to lasting happiness and overflowing joy and abundant life like wisdom can, right? Psalm 19 talks about God's word, and it says that God's, the, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. YouTube is not going to revive your soul, right? And I know it sounds silly like that, but in the morning, what if you had that thought? What if you said, you know what? I should read my Bible because I need my soul to be revived right now. But most of the time, that doesn't cross your mind. You just kind of go through the motions and forget about wisdom. But that's exactly what this sermon is about, is what are you going to do in that moment? Are you going to think of the value of wisdom? Are you going to think of the desirability and the attractiveness and the beauty of wisdom? Or are you going to just go through your day? Some of you are thinking, well, I, I get it. I know I should read my Bible. I get it. I've heard this for like five weeks in a row. But I don't see that wisdom is desirable. So like, what do I do? I don't really just, I just don't like being around the Bible. I, I feel like that's, that's a feeling. How do I change my feelings? Well, ask God. Like God made you. He made your feelings. And he can help you change them. In Psalm 119, verse 18, David asked God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. What if you prayed that when you're about to do your Bible reading? What if you didn't feel like reading your Bible and you said, God, I don't feel like reading my Bible right now, but please open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. I guarantee you, you do that, it will change your Bible reading. What if you prayed through Psalm 19? God, I pray that this would revive my soul. I pray that this would rejoice my heart. I pray that this would make me wise. I pray that this would be sweeter than honey. Lewis, I don't like honey. I pray that this would be better than Korean barbecue. I pray that this would be better than Texas barbecue, whatever you think of, right? I pray that this would be better than my vegan chicken from whatever. I don't know. But um, what, if you, what if you did that? That's what the sermon's about. You need to convince yourself that wisdom is valuable because she is, and she is desirable, and she is rewarding and beautiful and 
That's what this is about, is in that moment, you have to fight for that. But, and I kind of hinted at it just now, but wisdom is not just desirable in herself. She also brings about the greatest rewards. And that's the second sub-point tonight, is that wisdom is rewarding. It is always worth it to get wisdom because of the outcome of wisdom. In verse 12, wisdom kind of starts a new section. She says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. Prudence is like good judgment, right? You can make the right calls. And I find knowledge and discretion. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way, right? The way, the life, the path, the pattern of evil and perverted speech I hate. See, wisdom will keep you from arrogant pride. Wisdom will keep you from destructive speech. Wisdom will keep you from tearing people down. Wisdom will help you make good decisions. And I think we all want those things. We all want other people to have those things as well. And that's one of the rewards of wisdom is I can sum it up in just better relationships, right? Better relational interaction. What else? Verse 14, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. See, wisdom is the key to making good decisions, right? If these kings and rulers and nobles and princes need wisdom to make a decision for their whole nation, their whole country, all these people under them, how much more do we need it to decide what job we should do, what college we should do, whether we should take that class, whether we should join that group or whatever. We need wisdom to make those good decisions. Right? Wisdom also includes honoring God when the Bible doesn't talk about a specific situation. Right? The most famous story about Solomon is, remember that time when the two ladies came up to him and they both said, this baby's mine, and then he was like, just cut it in half. And, and they was like, what? But there's not like, you know, Deuteronomy 12 isn't like, okay, when two ladies come to you and they both want to claim this baby, here's what you do, Solomon. You've got to cut the baby in half, right? He didn't actually cut the baby in half, if you don't know the story. Um, but there's no Bible verse about what you do in that situation, right? But Solomon had wisdom. He knew God's word enough to say, okay, well, here's how to make a good decision in that situation, right? And we need that same wisdom in our everyday lives. Like, what do you do when your transgender coworker says, you need to call me by this name? How do you navigate that? What do you do? That's when you need wisdom, right? What do you do when your non-Christian family member is in the hospital? How do you talk to them? What do you do? You need wisdom. When you don't know what job you should take, what do you do? There's no Bible verse that says, take this job, right? You got to figure that out by using God's word. You need wisdom in your everyday life, right? Wisdom's reward is the ability to make good decisions. So if you want to make good decisions, make sure you are listening to wisdom, in verse 17, wisdom also says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. See, wisdom has her best, or your best interests at heart. Right? She will love you. If you love her, she will love you back. Right? I don't know if you've been in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or whatever, where you feel like you're putting in way more than the other person. Right? Most of the time, it's like, with like a younger sibling or something, you're just like, I am putting so much more into this relationship than you are. You're really annoying, but I'm so patient with you, right? And all this stuff. And you just feel so like drained, right? Because you're trying so hard for this relationship and they're just not reciprocating, right? It's one of the worst feelings in the world. But your pursuit of wisdom is not like that because wisdom 
is guaranteed to love you back, right? I love those who love me. Every minute, hour you spend pursuing wisdom is going to be worth it. All the work you put in will result in your satisfaction and your joy, right? If you pursue her, she will repay your investment. But wisdom will only do that if you hold up your end of the bargain, right? You can't just expect to gain wisdom by not doing anything, right? She's saying those who search for me diligently will find me, right? It will take some effort on your end, right? It will take time to actually get wisdom and study the Bible. And this isn't just a, oh, well, if I read my Bible every day, then I'll be, I'll be wise. You will be wiser, but you'd be even more wiser if you thought about it for the rest of your day, right? So the amount of time you put into this is the amount of wisdom you are going to get out of it, right? Or energy, right? Or effort, right? If you're just reading through your Bible, you do the DBR, you know, on double speed, and you listen to it on your drive to work, and it takes like two and a half minutes or whatever, you're like, oh, I was so efficient. And it's like, okay, well, you lost so much wisdom right there that you could have gained, you missed out on so much of God's word that you could have spent more time thinking about. But the good news is that wisdom will love you back, right? If you invest in wisdom, she will take care of you. She will help you make good decisions. She will guide you through your life. She will protect you from harm, from spiritually harming yourself or from provoking others to anger and things like that. Wisdom will take care of you if you pursue her. And that's where she goes next. She's telling you she is worth pursuing. Look at verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, enduring, lasting wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, right? Not just wisdom is better than gold, but her fruit, the result of wisdom is better than gold. And my yield, right, my harvest is better than choice silver. Verse 20, I walk in the way of righteousness, in paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Right? Wisdom's, wisdom's rewards are worth more than gold or silver, right? Not just wisdom herself, but what she brings. Because you can't buy lasting joy, but wisdom can get you that. Right? You can't buy satisfaction. You can't buy peace in all circumstances. You can't buy treasure in heaven. You can't buy a close relationship with God or a lifetime of good decisions or better relationships or whatever. You can't buy that, but you can get it with wisdom. Wisdom is more valuable than anything because nothing else will get you there. So the next time you're tempted to neglect time in God's word, you need to remember that it'll be worth it. You need to go into that time. Maybe you don't feel like it and you think, oh, I don't really want to do this right now. And that's exactly when you need this chapter of Proverbs. Say this will be worth it because what I put in is what I'm going to get out of this. Now this next section in Proverbs 8 has been hotly debated throughout church history. So I am just going to read it all the way through and then I will explain why because this sermon's about to get really interesting if it wasn't already. Uh, but <laughs> let's go to verse 22, Proverbs chapter 8. I'm just going to read it through and I want you to think, what does this remind me of in the Bible? Like what chapter of the Bible or what does this remind me of? So let's read it together and then I want you to start thinking that. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. 
When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. By the way, that just means horizon. I don't know why. I guess it's the literal Hebrew word is drawing a circle, but it's a horizon, right? When he assigned, where am I? I don't even know where I am. Verse 28, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, there I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. This passage, I don't know if you caught it, but it sounds a lot like John 1, right? It sounds a lot like in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and nothing, right? It even sounds like Colossians 1, right? In Christ, in Jesus, all things hold together. And it sounds like Hebrews 1, 2. And so the debate throughout church history has been, is this passage talking about Jesus? And if you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, they will tell you, yes, this passage is talking about Jesus. And then they will go to verse 22 and they will tell you, see that word possessed right there? The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. Well, see, in the Greek Old Testament, that word means created. And you know what that means? It means that Jesus was created by God. And so then you get into the debate with the Jehovah's Witness about the Septuagint and about the Greek New Testament and you're just really confused and you're like, I don't know what to do anymore. So that's why you need wisdom. Study God's word and know what you're talking about. No, um, well, yes, but wisdom in this passage, I would say, from all the study I did, I don't think Solomon has Jesus in mind here. I don't think he's talking about the Messiah. I think he's talking about wisdom. And I think the best way to phrase this is saying wisdom is God's character by which he created, not his creation or his creature, right? He's trying to tell you that wisdom is the character God has, right? The trait describing God when he created the world. And I think that fits with this passage because what, what's this passage? It's a bunch of reasons to listen to wisdom, right? And I think the point Solomon is making is if God used wisdom to create the world, then you need wisdom to navigate your everyday life too, right? Because if God used wisdom to do this big thing of creating the world, then you need wisdom in your much less complicated and less marvelous life, right? And so for subpoint C, third reason you should listen to wisdom is because wisdom isn't beneath you. God's word, God's plan for how you should live is not beneath you. And this is classic advertising, right? I remember when I was in middle school, Subway had this program of advertising where they would associate an athlete with all their different sandwiches. So like Michael Phelps had a sandwich and like Serena Williams had a sandwich. And I remember Mike Trout had this sweet chicken onion teriyaki sandwich, and that was the one I got. Um, I don't know why I need to tell you that, but I did. Um, but they said, oh, if you, like this person eats this sandwich, right? And so then you should eat this sandwich so you could be like them, right? That's what they were trying to tell you, but that's basically what wisdom, what Solomon is doing with wisdom right here. He's saying, look, if God used wisdom, you should use wisdom, right? It's like, well, if this person uses, you know, if this person uses this type of guitar, then I want to sound like them, so I should play that guitar too, right? Or if this person uses, you know, this software, then I should use that too. Or this person uses this gaming headset, or I should use that too. Anyway, you need to use wisdom, right? Because God has made his wisdom available to you, right? The wisdom God used to create the world, right? To think about all how complex and how amazing the world is, right? Psalm 19, again, the heavens declare the glory of God. 
God used his wisdom to create the world. Now he's saying here, you can use my wisdom too. You can use what I use to create the world to navigate your everyday life. He's making it available to you. Will you take it? Will you use God's wisdom in your everyday life? That's the, I think, the thrust of, of this section, right? Is God is saying, look, this is my wisdom, right? My wisdom, God's wisdom, right? The God who part sees, the God who planned the end from the beginning. His wisdom is available to you, and you can find it in this book if only you'll take the time to read it instead of scrolling on your phone for 30 minutes in the morning, right? That's what this passage is saying. And so don't be like, oh, well, yeah, I just don't know if it's that helpful. I don't know if it's that relevant or whatever. But I think there's also one more reason in this passage that wisdom isn't beneath you. And the reason this passage does sound a lot like John 1 and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 is because I think the New Testament authors use this passage to describe Jesus. They took language from this passage to talk about Jesus. And that's because in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24 and 30, Paul says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the incarnation of God's wisdom. Because what is God's wisdom? God's wisdom is living life, everyday situations, in a way that applies God's word perfectly to all of those situations, right? Because God doesn't really give you a command about how should I, you know, approach my job interview. There's no Bible verse about that, right? But Jesus perfectly approached his metaphorical job interviews in a way that perfectly applied God's law to that situation, right? That's wisdom. It's taking what God's word says and applying it to everyday life perfectly. And Jesus did that. And so he is the incarnation of wisdom. And in Matthew 12, verse 42, Jesus even makes a reference to Solomon and to the wisdom of Solomon. In Matthew 12, 42, he's talking to the Pharisees or talking about the Pharisees because the Pharisees wouldn't listen to him, right? The Pharisees were like, you're a loser. We don't want to talk to you. We're actually going to try to kill you, right? And this is what he said. He said to them, the, about them, the queen of the south. Well, who's that? Well, keep reading, but I'm going to spoil it for you. The south is Sheba, right? If you remember, the queen of Sheba came up to Solomon, and she marveled at his wisdom because she asked him, that, like, those questions, and, she, and then he, like, gave all the right answers, and she was really impressed, right? So he's saying the queen of Sheba will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, right? She traveled all the way from Sheba to Israel to hear about Solomon's wisdom and to witness it for herself. And Jesus says, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. There's something better, something more important, something more wise than Solomon is here. And if usually when you think of wisdom, you think of Solomon, you think of Proverbs, you think of Ecclesiastes, you think of him asking God for wisdom and threatening to cut a baby in half, right? That's what you think of when you think of wisdom. Maybe not. But wisdom is, you think Solomon, right? And then Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm more wise than Solomon. And so the more you love wisdom, the more you'll love Jesus because you'll realize how wise Jesus is. I don't know if you've ever read like the gospel of John and you just are amazed at Jesus's wisdom, right? Like in John 4, he's talking to the Samaritan woman and she's talking about places of worship and all this stuff. And then he says, go tell your husband. And it's like, I, I would not have dared to tell this woman, go tell your husband. And he's like, well, actually, you have no husband, right? That is such a just mind-boggling statement by Jesus to just go there, right? Or when he's talking to the Pharisees, right? And I saw this meme, you know the meme of all the guys running around in the backyard like, oh, right? When the Pharisees are like, uh, are talking to Jesus and 
They're asking him, like, oh, why, where do you get the authority to do these things? And then Jesus asks them a question, and they can't answer the question. Then he says, neither will I tell you the authority which they do this. I do these things. And then the meme was, like, all the guys, like, oh, right. Um, but anyway, right, when you read about Jesus and you see Jesus, you can marvel at his wisdom and be amazed by him. And if Jesus is the wisdom of God, then surely you need the wisdom of God. And surely you should seek the wisdom of God if you love Jesus. If you want wisdom, come to Jesus. If you're saying, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know how to handle this situation. Come to Jesus. Because Colossians 2.3 says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He has all the, the valuables, all the riches of wisdom. And he can give them to you. If only you'd ask him. If only you'd listen to his word. And see, if all you take away from this sermon is I need to try really hard to read my Bible, then I, I have failed you as a preacher. Because this sermon is not try really hard to read your Bible and discipline yourself and come up with a Bible reading plan and, and just make it work. That's not what this sermon is about. This sermon is look at wisdom. Look at how beautiful she is. Look at how rewarding she is. Look at how attractive she is. Look at how she will revive your soul and rejoice your heart. Look at how she will lead you beside still waters and bless you and look at wisdom and be amazed and want to listen. That's what this passage is about. This passage is not try really hard to read your Bible. This passage is fall in love with wisdom and be amazed by her and listen to what she has to say. And more importantly, realize that Jesus is the wisdom of God and look past your Bible at, or through your Bible rather, look through your Bible at Jesus and see Jesus as the wisdom of God and see Jesus as desirable and attractive and rewarding and fulfilling and will never let you down and never leave you or forsake you. That's what this is about because that's why you read God's word is to love Jesus. You don't read God's word just to make your life better, even though it will do that for you. But this is about looking to Jesus through scripture. So wisdom is desirable. She is rewarding. She's not beneath you. And finally, to close this passage, she's going to give you one last reason to listen. In verse 32, she says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. She's giving you two options right here, and only two. You can pursue wisdom and experience the blessing and the abundant life she has to offer, or you can ignore her, right, neglect her, and do yourself great harm and those around you great harm. And you will not just embrace a path to physical death, but entering the realm of living death apart from the wisdom of God. And so the last reason we all need to listen to wisdom is that wisdom is life or death. Wisdom is life or death. In the book of Proverbs... Life and death aren't just biological terms. Right? Psalm isn't just talking about if you listen to wisdom, you'll stay alive longer, and if you don't, then you'll die really soon. That's not what he's saying. 
life in Proverbs is an abundant quality of life. It's favor from God, fellowship with God. It is kind of eternal life that, that John is hinting at in his gospel, right? Eternal life that you have right now as a Christian that you experience with your relationship with God. And death in Proverbs isn't just an event. It's not just a stopping and ending of life, right? It is invading God's creation and conflicting life. It's anything that goes against God's good design for what he has made, right? Adam and Eve, you will eat of this, when you eat of this tree, you will surely die. They didn't physically die, but sin entered the world and their whole life got messed up, right? That's death. That's spiritual death. And so if you decide to ignore wisdom, it shows that you love death. It shows that you love the things that go against God's design for the world. And it, this verse, this last verse even says, if you fail to find wisdom, you will injure yourself. You will harm yourself. And how, how does that work, right? How, how, why does me not having wisdom harm myself? Well, you're missing out on the wisdom you need to handle a situation. To, instead of bringing life into the situation, you are ha- handling it poorly, unwisely, against what God has designed, and you're bringing death into that situation. You are causing disunity and strife and envy or gossip, or you're giving bad advice that'll mess someone's life up, right? Or you don't have the wisdom to make that good decision, so then you do something instead that's really harmful for yourself. So you are harming yourself by neglecting wisdom. Right, even if you don't completely reject wisdom, though, well, I think we all need as much wisdom as we can possibly get because not gaining wisdom will cost you at some point in your life. I don't want any of us to look back and wish, man, I wish I gained more wisdom because I just ran into this situation where I needed wisdom. So on Friday night, I was in the back of a car on the way to the ER, and I'm sitting next to someone trying to encourage them and support them while we're on the way to the ER. And in that moment, I'm just really trying to think, what, what do I say? Right? What do I pray? What do I tell them? What, how do I handle this situation? And I wish that I had more wisdom in that moment. Right, because I wish I could have said something like, hey, remember Isaiah 41.10, which says, fear not, for I, Yahweh, am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or Psalm 55.20, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But I didn't have the wisdom I needed, so I couldn't say those things. Right? I don't know if I handled it too poorly, but... I wish in that moment, man, I wish I had spent more time in God's word so I knew what to say and I knew how to say it and I knew what to do in this situation, right? You need wisdom. What if your best friend comes up to you or maybe they don't even come up to you. Maybe you just don't see them at church and you give them a call and they say, hey, I, I just don't really want to do this whole Christianity thing anymore. I just don't believe it. I don't think it's worth it. I'd rather just do my own thing and, and live for myself. What do you say? What do you tell them? How do you handle that situation? Right? You need wisdom. And if you don't have it, it's going to cost you. It could cost you that person. Right? That person's eternal security is at stake, and you need the wisdom in that moment to say something to them. Right? That's what you need wisdom for. Right? What if your parents are going through a divorce? What do you do? What if you're in a conflict with your friend, and you don't know how to resolve it? It seems hopeless. What do you, what do, you do? Or 
Even what if someone you know wants to get saved? What do you say? When you say, hey, I want to be a Christian, you just say, great, you're a Christian. Like, what do you do, right? You need wisdom to handle that situation. And that wisdom comes not just overnight. It did for Solomon, but for most of us, it's going to come by spending day after day in this book and thinking about it and studying it and learning it and asking questions about it. You're going to need wisdom at points in your life, and I do not want you to be found wanting and saying, man, I wish I had more wisdom right now. I wish I could go back last week and memorize this verse so I could use it right now. And that might sound like a lot of pressure, and it is, but also think of the joy of having wisdom, right? What if you were in the back of that car and you're on the way to the ER and you do say, hey, God is sovereign, and I know that because of this verse, and I I want you to meditate on this verse, and can we pray together, pray through this psalm together, right? Or can we pray through Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. That would be such a good thing to do in that situation, right? Or your best friend's walking away from the faith, and, and you can enter into that situation and say, hey, let's read through Psalm 73 together, because I, I think this psalm will be really relatable for you, because in this psalm, David is envying the wicked, and I think you are too. And I think if you read this psalm, this would be good for you to, to realize what David realized, that it's not worth it. It's not worth it to walk away. Don't leave eternal life behind for a short life of fun in sin. That would be such a good thing to do, right? You could be like the person in Psalm 1 who is meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. And he's like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season. Right, think of the reward of having wisdom and knowing God's word. Right, you can be like the person who wrote Psalm 119. You can be like David. I know sometimes when I read Psalm 119, I, I get discouraged because I'm like, man, I don't love God's word like this. But if you persistently seek out wisdom and listen to what she has to say, you can be like this person. You can be like this person in Psalm 119 who says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of Yahweh. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. You can have that joy and that abundant life if you will seek wisdom and listen to her. And so you've heard what wisdom has to say for herself from her own pen, all right? You have heard the reasons you've been given to listen to her. And so now the ball is in your court. Are you going to listen to wisdom? Are you going to daily answer her call and stand at her gates and seek her out? Because she's looking for you. She wants you to hear what she has to say, but are you, are you going to reciprocate? Are you going to respond? Or are you just going to ignore her and go on with your life and waste it and potentially ruin it? That's what this sermon is about, is what will you do when wisdom is looking for you? What will you do when you have a decision to read this book or not? And so we're going to go to small groups and we're going to talk about that, about how exactly to, to get ourselves to listen to what wisdom has to say. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll do that. We'll sing one more song first. God, thank you so much for wisdom. Thank you that your wisdom is beautiful and glorious. Thank you that your wisdom is available. We can get wisdom whenever we'd like. Um, you promised us if we lack wisdom and we ask you for it, you will give generously. And so God, we're grateful that you have made your wisdom available to us, that anyone can have wisdom because ultimately it's from you. And so it's not up to, it's not up to our 
own deservingness of wisdom or anything. It's up to your generosity to give it to us. So I pray that you'd help us to seek wisdom. You'd help us to love wisdom and be attracted to wisdom and desire wisdom. And I pray that we would be convinced of its value so that we can continue to seek it out for each day of our life. So we're grateful for you, God. We're grateful for, for Jesus and that he is the wisdom of God and that he is the fulfillment of, of your word and everything that we um, can desire and long for is, um, is nothing compared to all that he is. So I pray that we would look through your word at Jesus and desire him most of all. We pray this in his name. Amen.